Hello, and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests podcast. This is, of course, the weekly podcast where you, the listener, can donate £5 a month via our Patreon subscription service to get us to do a podcast on absolutely anything you want. That is correct. Now, often I talk about the range of the different requests we get. We get movies, we get kind of random subjects, um, uh, bits of American history from 1950s. Um, It could be anything. This week, though, we've been given a request that genuinely David and I absolutely adore. Absolutely, yes. So this is uh, from our uh, long-standing Patreon member, James, uh, who we've done quite a few requests for now. And He's our uh, best friend. I, I Are you real, James? Because <laughs> if you are, I think we all need to be best friends. Because he has sent us um, about 25 uh, suggestions in advance. Yeah. And they are literally, without exaggeration, like a collection of 25 of our favorite things <laughs> it's so ridiculous. it's very surreal um <clears throat> and and yes yeah, so and he said we can kind of choose at will the ones that we want to talk about and actually this was the first one he mentioned on the list and right off the bat it it sparked our imaginations and our passions and that is uh, our list of uh collectively uh favorite or objectively greatest or i mean i've kind of gone between those lines here mm-hmm. uh, uh rhythm guitarists Greatest or favourite rhythm guitarists? Um, It's been, I say it's a dream of a request, but it's also incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. because, first of all, how do you define a rhythm guitarist? People have lots of different ideas of what that might be. Uh, Second of all, it kind of depends what you're into in terms of music being a really subjective thing. And also, there are a lot of them. Um, So it's a really, really tough one. Um, And as a result, we have enlisted a little bit of help. Absolutely, yes. So we have uh, previously had uh, our, our future sport episode. Uh, we had uh, Ryan McCloskey join us for that one. And we thought it's about time we got another special guest in. And this one in particular is very special because I think now, technically, we can class this as a celebrity guest appearance. Because very true. For those of you who may have been watching uh, Mastermind on BBC Two a few weeks ago, we have with us uh, who Twitter has deemed the hot boy with the moustache. <laughs> uh, he is uh, also one of uh, the most knowledgeable people about music I've ever met. He's one of the greatest guitarists I've ever heard play live. Um, and uh, he will uh, be coming in to give his insights, which often will sound uh, incredibly erudite and philosophical. Mm. And you might think, oh God, this is all going over my head. Yeah. But just remember, listener, that about 32% of it is going to be nonsense. (laughs) So don't worry uh, too much uh, if you're not understanding, because some of the time Josh doesn't even understand himself. So uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Josh Benfield. Welcome, Josh. (laughs) Thank you very much, guys. Delightful to have you here. Um, You've actually listened to quite a few podcasts uh, uh, that we've done um, over the last year. Yeah. Um, Did you think you'd find yourself as an expert guest uh, celebrity guest on Podcast Macabre, best rhythm guitarists of all time. Uh, it was an expectation of mine, yeah. <laughs> why, why does that not surprise me? Uh, <laughs> you were going to be quite annoyed if we didn't ask. <laughs> it's not, I'm just, it was an expectation. Not, not, yeah. it's an honor, not a privilege. Right. I'm, I'm fully expecting it to happen. Yeah. 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 So first off, uh, I think we should probably uh, address the question of what is a rhythm guitarist? Um, yes. Now, I know you've got some ideas, David. I, I, I think for me, a rhythm guitarist is 
the second guitarist of, of the band. I think of a lead guitarist playing the prominent lead lines, um, often kind of the riffs, but definitely the solos. Um, people like Dave Gilmore, who are known for their kind of big arching uh, guitar solos, um, or, or Eric Clapton. Um, a rhythm guitarist is the person most kind of um, listeners probably don't know that much. They probably mm. don't, you know, see them as the star. Um, that's kind of how I think about it, but it also opens it up to a lot. What, what did you think, David? Yeah, so I was talking to uh, uh, my mother on the phone yesterday about this podcast and she was kind of throwing out some suggestions and I kept having to be like, <laughs> no, that's a that's the lead guitarist of the band. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, I don't think I really know what rhythm guitarists are then. Um, and, and I said, well, the, the easiest way I would describe it is that in a band, the rhythm guitarist is the left hand of the piano and the lead guitarist is your right hand. Yeah. That's kind of how I view it. I really, I really like that um, analogy in terms of the right hand being the higher parts, the, you know, the melody and the left hand being the accompaniment. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Josh, what's your definition of a rhythm guitarist? <laughs> um, yeah, that is true to a certain extent. I think the problem is that actually there is a lot of rhythm guitarists, but then there's also uh, not that many because it's a difficult one to say. Because I look at some of the guitarists I've picked and I think they're not just the left-handed piano guitarists, but it's about the kind of rhythmic sensibilities that they have. I got a quote, and this is actually kind of summed up quite well for me, and this is by Irving Ashby, who is an individual, and he said, rhythm guitar is like vanilla extract in cake. Mm. You can't taste it when it's there, but you know when it's left out. And I think that is quite good as a probably a sum up of rhythm guitar for the early, probably up to about the real explosion in uh, rock in like the 70s. That's a pretty good sum up of rhythm guitar. And I think that's traditionally that is what rhythm guitar is. Like you don't really notice it when it's there, but then when it's not, it you know it, it just feels like there's something missing in the mix. Whereas I think nowadays rhythm guitar is a bit different, and I think now a lot of a lot of it rhythm guitar has become more of a kind of facet of a total guitarist, as it were. Um, and but saying that, I think you still find guitarists who are not good rhythm guitarists. And I would then say that they're just not good guitarists, <laughs> to be completely honest. So I think that it's different a bit now because I think a lot of it is becoming incorporated within it's just being a guitarist. Whereas I think up until about the 60s and 70s, it was a bit more obvious that the rhythm guitar was a distinct role in a band. And I think now it's a little bit less obvious. It's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I I have, I think, in my list chosen people that that you could certainly probably classify as lead as well, because like certain people or, or some people didn't make my list but were in consideration were potentially like the only guitarist mm, yeah. in the band. But but like the person I've put at number one, although my list is yeah, yeah. massively in order but um the person that i that i've put in number one i think it could definitely qualify as both but i think they are iconic for their rhythm guitar i think they're iconic for their their chord structures and their strumming more than their solos and that's kind of why i've gone yeah putting a certain person in into the rhythm guitar category that's pretty interesting um 
So yeah, my list um, I, uh, makes absolutely no kind of sense at all. But I think hopefully by the end of this, I would have weaved some kind of narrative between them all uh, and it will kind of resemble uh, something that's more organized. But actually I went all over the place historically, um, you know, genre wise, uh, I've got a kind of real mixed bag. Um, and I'm kind of nervous as well, because as I think you said, David, before we did this, actually we're quite nervous because this time we're presenting our work in front of teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> barely furiously researching um, um so do you so, want to go first or shall i um, i don't know do um, you, i what you I'm, go first i'm i'm happy to kick off uh uh with the first person uh on my list um who actually uh i wouldn't have thought of but i was uh whatsapping with josh about this the other day and it was one of the people um that he mentioned that i thought god that's such a good shout because it's someone i've been aware of but but they're like separate work, but I hadn't thought of their work as a as a complete kind of um, package. And and actually, when when you take all their work with various different bands, um, uh, there's someone that absolutely is in that conversation. And that is, I don't know the correct pronunciation of this. Uh, I'm gonna go with John McGeoch. It could be McGeoch. Josh, do you know how you actually pronounce his name? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I do not. It might be McGeech. No. I don't know. No, I don't. McGeech. McGeech. I like McGeech. McGeech is my favourite. It's favorite. the weirdest. It's the weirdest one. John McGeech. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, this is, um, he was the rhythm guitarist um, for a lot of, like, post-punk and new wave bands. So, people like Visage, um, probably most famously for Susie and the Banshees. Um, which I, I've got a little bit of a Susie and the Bunchies uh, uh, track that we'll, we'll play in a minute. Um, they were really kind of, yeah, instrumental in uh, progressing that kind of bridge between the kind of very hardcore kind of punk kind of bashing those chords out, very kind of aggressive strumming into a more kind of the melodic kind of uh, uh, post-punk into new wave. And I mean, I came across him personally when my brother-in-law introduced me to Public Image Limited when I was about 15, 16. And I had no clue that John Lydon had this whole other band after the Pistols and I just fell in love. And I've been, yeah, a huge Pill fan um, ever since. And I uh, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I would have played a bit of Rise, because uh, it's one of my favourite songs for this, but it's that would have just been for my benefit, because it doesn't showcase his rhythm guitar skills anywhere near <laughs> as much as some other songs that I could choose. So so I've gone for Spellbound uh, uh, by Susie and the Banshees. That's, that's a, a really, really great shout. Um, I think also it's amazing when we think about rhythm guitar and punk um, mm. and, and and that kind of era of, of rock and roll and the way that so much of punk is driven by not amazing melodic guitar tones. Actually, they're chugging, driving kind of chords. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so shall we uh, listen to a little bit of Spellbound now and then we'll pick up the conversation about Mr. McGeech. Here is Spellbound by Susie and the Banshees. From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice that sings spinning. You have no choice.
Brilliant. That so, was thoroughly enjoyable. Yes, that was uh, a little bit of Spellbound by Susie and the Banshees. Uh, and someone, um, you can hear it, it, quite ahead of his time in in that kind of sound, not just the style of his playing, but the um, the actual sound of, of the guitar and, and the kind of electronics that it's put through as well. Um, he was um, listed uh, in uh, Mojo Magazine's 100 Greatest... Uh, recording artists of all time, um, known for his arpeggios, his pitch harmonics, um, uh, the uh, producer slash uh, engineer Steve Albini uh, said, uh, great choral swells, great scratches and buzzes, great dissonant noise and great squealy death noise. What a guy. Um, <laughs> Steve Albini there. Um, John Frusciante bought an SG because of him. Uh, Ed O'Brien um, from Radiohead said responsible for greatest riffs, riffs ever. Um, he was also in Magazine as well as Visage uh, and Susan Banshees and Pill. Um, uh, Johnny Marr, Dave Navarro both cite him as one of the biggest influences on why they started playing guitar. Um, yeah, just an absolute kind of musician's musician, I think. Someone mm. That is, yeah, yeah clearly yeah. Um, kind of respected and revered much more among guitarists than necessarily kind of public <laughs> recognition or cultural recognition, perhaps. Really, really nice, um, nice pick for that reason, actually, mm. because uh, it's nice when we learn something, isn't it? Yeah. And I've definitely learned uh, uh, about this, apart from his name, what was his name? Uh, John McGee. John McGee. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a name I won't forget. In yeah. a hurry. Um, really nice. Um, I, I love the fact that we're going down the, the, the punk rabbit hole and I, I kind of want to go there myself in a bit. Um, but I was wondering if kind of Josh had any, any insight as to the influence of this dude and whether you'd heard of him or... Yeah, so actually I heard uh, of him because the quotes that John Prashanto said, he, he, did a lot, he, he used to name check him in a lot mm. of interviews. But when I used to subscribe to Total Guitar back when I was a little wayward <laughs> teenager, um, I remember reading, I think it was John Bashanti either by the way or Stadium Arcadium. I think it was Stadium Arcadium. And he was doing like lots of interviews then. And that's when I first heard about John McGeek or John McGeek or whichever way. Um, and that was the first time I'd heard someone talk about him. Um, and he essentially just talked about how he had been such a massive influence on him. And then... I on Total Guitar as well, which is basically how I got a lot of my exposure to a lot of these guitarists that I didn't necessarily grow up with. Uh, they had a few of his riffs, especially Happy House, which is another fantastic riff. Um, and I think you get the arpeggio style mm. is incredible. I think when you hear him, it seems to make a lot more sense why Johnny Marr is Johnny Marr. Ah. Um, and it also seems to make a lot more sense about you hear in Spellbound the chorus flange mm. effect that's all over that guitar and the reverb. Now he's doing that in 1981. That's quite early for that style to be out and about. I mean, that is the kind of similar time and era as James Honeyman Scott doing the kind of ringing arpeggios and riffs for mm. the pretenders. So we're talking like right at the beginning of a style that went through everything and the chorus and flange effect then had such a massive influence on grunge music. Um, and when you've got someone like Steve Albini talking about him and extolling his virtues in such a way, Steve Albini is responsible for pretty much alternative rock in America from the 80s into the early 90s in terms of a lot of the sound. 
like he was he was REM's and he was Nirvana's producer. So if he's talking about John McGee, you can definitely guarantee there's going to be some of that influence filtering into the American alternative rock scene, and undoubtedly it did. So I would say actually his influence is probably a lot bigger than people would mm. think, and he's possibly one of the most influential guitarists of the past forty years. Wow. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting thinking about Frusciante as well and. The fact that a lot of when I was reading about um, McGeek and and a lot of the things that came up, like Josh, you were just saying, is is about his kind of innovation and his experimentation. And I think certainly when you <laughs> listen to some of Frusciante's solo EPs <laughs> and stuff, that some of which is almost unlistenable, um, it, it you but but. <laughs> you can hear the ambition there of trying to replicate someone like that. So it makes a lot of sense that Frusciante especially is a kind of, yeah, massive follower of his. And it's interesting that point also about that um, reverb and, uh, and overdrive being, uh, creating that space. Mm. Um, I remember I was working on a, on a show um, where I had to teach an actor to, to play a Paddy Smith number and it was Babalog era. Mm. Um, and they were a kind of a very, adept country acoustic singer songwritery kind of guitarist but never played an electric guitar never mm. plugged it in and never been given an mxr pedal um and and told to kind of make it sound ugly and one of the sounds i went for was this yeah overdrive and reverb that's exactly what i asked for because mm. it is the sound for me of that kind of driving kind of punk when when actually um this guy seems responsible for that sound. And you can hear yeah. that space yeah. in mm -hmm. all of Frusciante's stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. I think Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction mm. is a big mm. one for the sound. When you listen to early Jane's Addiction, definitely uh, because Dave Navarro, like a lot of other guitarists of that time, had basically two settings. And one was your kind of chorusy flange for your non-overdriven part. And then you had loads of distortion when you wanted solo. So you basically were either John McGeeck or you were Jimmy Page. That's essentially what you were. Um, and I think that his sounds in Ritual Dello Habitual, which is like the second full length or no third full length uh, Jane's Addiction album, which is um, one of the best albums, rock albums of all time. You can hear the, the tone similarities, if not necessarily the actual content of the guitar playing, but it's there, the similarities there, but you can hear the tonal similarities all over Ritual Dello Habitual because it's just beautiful it's got that kind of almost glacial edge to the some of the um guitar playing not in the pace but just it feels cold but it feels clinical but also just incredible um yeah he is an amazing guitarist an amazing guitarist awesome brilliant is it my turn to go yeah. now okay i've got a couple of uh things we can talk about in terms of punk but i'm gonna take us back now away from it i really am denied about whether to include this person or not, but I felt I kind of had to. Um, so one of my greatest rhythm guitarists is Glenn Campbell of okay. The Wrecking Crew. Okay. Um, a lot of people know Glenn Campbell as being this country star who had a TV Wichita show. Wichita Lineman, yeah. Recorded the Jimmy Webb uh, track, Wichita Lineman. Wonderful, beautiful, golden voice angel singer. Um, and of course he was a great showman as well. Rhinestone cowboy, um, huge hits there. He was, the, he was the greatest showman. He was the greatest showman. That was the inspiration. <laughs> 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 um, 
but not a lot of people realise that he played on a range of incredible songs, often uncredited, that have now kind of come to light. Um, loads of uh, recordings that actually got lost in the the Universal Fire in two thousand and eight, as mm. did loads of Wrecking Crew. Um, uh, for those of, of us who don't know uh, who the Wrecking Crew are, Josh, could you give us a little summary of what the Wrecking Crew were and their influence on the music scene of, well, of, of, on music in general? Yeah, they were a group of uh, incredible musicians. Um, a lot of them cleaved from the kind of jazz scenes of... Uh, of the era, around about the 50s. I'm not sure exactly when they started, but I would guess it must be the 50s and 60s. They're probably most famous for being the go-to band and go-to groups of musicians for Brian Wilson when he was trying to realise the sounds in his head. So the pedigree's there instantly because these are the guys that he trusted. Uh, Glenn Campbell was, was one of them. He was one of the guitarists. Barney Kessel, who's a very, very famous jazz guitarist, was one of the main guitarists as well. Uh, Carol Kay, who notable for being a female guitarist, a female bassist, she was one of the two bassists they had. Uh, it was a huge group of people um, that could be kind of cleaved from. But there was, I think, there was probably a. I'm not sure exactly how many there were as a group. Maybe ten, maybe fifteen. That used to get used a lot. But they were all over the LA scene of I think the 50s and the 60s and for, for session work. And as you say, they were on, they were on so many things you wouldn't even know. Uh, half the things that they're on because again they didn't always get credited yeah um but yeah as you say glenn campbell doesn't get the credit um that he should do for his early early work when he was when he was pretty much just a guitarist very young he was as well i think i um only learned today uh who uh hal blaine was who was the drummer of the wrecking crew um yeah who i'd never heard of before and then i was reading about him and he's saying he was on like 35,000 singles or something in this grit. Like, it's mental. How do yeah. you even do that? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that was a, a drummer, a drummer's drummer poll, right? Yeah, it was on Sky Arts, apparently. My dad was telling me there was this 20, 20 greatest drummers but voted for by other drummers, and number three was Hal Blaine, and he'd never heard of him before. Uh, and I hadn't until today, and he was he's saying all these drummers saying, this guy, he's drummed on more songs than anyone ever in history. Incredible. Um, and it's a, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. Not to be confused with, not to be confused with the world class wrecking crew of Dr. Dre fame. <laughs> that's a really good point. Because uh, the first time I heard them, that's what I thought they were, they were the same group. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> Glenn Campbell being hugely influenced, <laughs> yeah. influenced yeah, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Dre in the hip hop revolution. All over it. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I was looking up some of the stuff Glenn Campbell uh, did, um, and he was I, I'm kind of reluctant to because he's someone my dad really liked, mm -hmm. and therefore someone I wanted to find boring and saccharine. Mm -hmm. um, but then you revisit this kind of work as a as an adult, and and not only is his solo stuff beautiful, um, whether you like country country rock or not, it, it is beautiful. Um, but with Wrecking Crew, he was he was the guitar parts for You've Lost That Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers, um, Strangers in the Night with Sinatra, again, pulling on that jazz background that you were talking about, Josh, where a lot of these musicians uh, had kind of quite a lot of formal, uh, certainly uh, jazz chops, mm -hmm. um, bringing that into the studio. Yeah. Um, what I'd Say, the Elvis cover um, mm -hmm. of the Ray Charles track, that's Glenn Campbell. So I'm like, already you've got three very different styles there. 
on mm-hmm. I songs on, on on songs that are iconic for the style in which they're in. Yeah. And Glenn Campbell's playing on all three of those particular numbers. For me, um, I think it, it was really um, the fact that he was on Pet Sounds and a lot mm-hmm. a lot of Pet Sounds, as Josh alluded to, Wrecking Crew playing on uh, a lot of Beach Boys stuff, as with Hal Blaine mm-hmm. uh, and Carol Kay. Um, uh, but but for me, when I think of Pet Sounds and I think of that um, Beach Boys surf guitar and pushing those limits, and uh, yeah, of course that was Brian Wilson. We should credit him with that. But we also should acknowledge the fact that that sound we're hearing that we're associating with that incredible album is Glenn Campbell. That's really interesting because one of the people that I was circling around was Alan Jardine, who was the rhythm guitarist of the Beach Boys. Uh-huh. Um, but the reason why I didn't put him in is because I was like, oh, yeah, but how much of that was just Wilson's orchestrations that he gave to Jardine to play? Yeah. And, and how much of it was people like Glenn Campbell coming in and doing things like, so that's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point as well, in terms of what do you count as a rhythm guitarist? Sometimes they could be the driving songwriter of a band. Mm-hmm. Other times they can just be very good uh, dot readers. Yeah. Um, that opens up that debate. Mm-hmm. But I, I think um, it, it, it's kind of nice to t- take us back to the Wrecking Crew and acknowledge a lot of those musicians who didn't get the uh, credit and also didn't get the royalties as a result. Mm-hmm. They yeah. often got paid a very high day rate, yeah, but missed out on a lot of that money. Glenn Campbell was fine. No, obviously mm-hmm. paid a, a ludicrous amount of money. And his two brothers went on to form UB40, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I thought we'd have a little listen mm-hmm. to uh, Glenn Campbell playing on the famous Pet Sounds track by the Beach Boys, Caroline No. Oh, Caroline, you break my heart. I wanna go and cry. It's so sad to watch a sweet thing die. Oh, Caroline. Lovely example there, and great to hear that um, in action. Um, so, Josh, who is your uh, first pick? Well, I'm going to start off with, I'm tr- I was trying to think of a vein to run through them as well. So I think I'll begin at the beginning. Um, and my my first... <laughs> Moses! <laughs> yeah. He yeah, was a yeah, replayer. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to start off with Freddie Green. Now. Freddie Green, not many people are probably going to know about. No, I knew this was going to happen. I, I won't, I'm not going to label the point with him too much because if I'm being completely honest, I didn't really know who Freddie Green was up until about two days ago. And then I have just spent about two days understanding just how incredibly influential this guy has been. And I think it will bear, he bears being included, I think, in, in any list of the guitarist just because of the influence he had on swing jazz. So he was Count Basie's, he was the guitarist for Count Basie's mm. orchestra for almost 50 years. Now, the thing is, you can't hear him necessarily on a lot of recordings. That always helps. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why you can't hear. Yeah. No, well, so this is the point. This is what I'm saying about rhythm guitar being like vanilla essence in a cake. You, you mm-hmm. can't always under- hear it. And I think that that quote is a direct kind of quote that applies to Freddie Green when we're talking about him because mm-hmm. his rhythm guitar playing, uh, it, it changed quite a lot. And he didn't plug in. So he played acoustically, had a big arch top guitar because they, we're talking about the 30s all the way up to the 80s. So in the 30s, he didn't plug in at all. 
with Count Basie's guitar. And he is a rhythm guitarist as a traditional rhythm guitarist would have been, where essentially your foundation in any song is drums and rhythm guitar. That's it. The bass isn't necessarily there for foundation. The bass is actually there for more kind of color and tonality in terms of what it's doing, especially in jazz music, taking that bass for a walk and all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas a rhythm guitar, rhythm guitarist is definitely laying the foundation. Freddie Green does that probably better than anyone else, uh, to the point where in a lots of jazz chord sheets you'll get and jazz transcripts and stuff, there will, there will sometimes be where you would have things like forte and piano telling you how to play it. It will just tell you how to, it, it will just tell you to play something in a Freddie Green style. Really? Yeah. So he is like the jazz guitarist, guitarist when it comes to rhythm playing um, for his longevity, but also and the fact he was there at the beginning almost. Um, and when we talk about his jazz guitar playing, his kind of style of comping is now ubiquitous in jazz comping. I mean, everyone basically does it without realizing he's one of those almost kind of proto influences in a lot of jazz music. Um, and as a guitarist, he was a, a, a king at doing single note harmonies as kind of rhythm guitar accompaniments, or he was a king at doing three or four note chord inversions and chord sequences. Um, and he's one of these guys where he would play a chord every single beat rather than a chord every single bar. So he sets out that kind of store. For that reason, he's in there for me because I think that it does well to acknowledge him because also he starts a kind of vein of rhythm guitar playing, which takes us, well, can take us up to the present day in lots of ways. Lovely. Um, and, he, and he's a happy medium because it's difficult to put some blues guitarists in there because it's hard to say whether they're rhythm guitarists, even though they're accompanying their voice. So he's a happy mm. medium because he is undoubtedly a rhythm guitarist. There's no grey area. That's a, that's a really nice um, kind of education in the role of rhythm guitar. I wanted to just um, talk a little bit mm. about comping. Um, I only yeah. discovered, uh, on, again, on a show, I had to do a jazz number, what comping is. Um, and I didn't do it very well, but I really enjoyed kind of getting into it. And I was going to start kind of describing it to those who don't play guitar. You're kind of, you're moving every yeah, beat or every two beats. So quick chord changes, but you're not kind of letting it ring. And I always associate it with kind of palm muting as well. Um, but how would you describe comping? Uh, to do it properly? Uh, it's, it's, I'm reaching for a metaphor because it's all, always quite a good way to describe stuff like that. It's... Is it? Well, you, could, you, just, you could just describe it as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe. But it's hard to describe it because I just play it. Uh, yeah, it's basically you're using not just... It's not just like straight strumming on chords. It's using different notes within chords. Very rarely do you use the root notes. So say if you're playing like a... C7 or something like that, you won't be playing the C. You'll normally be playing the third, which is almost like the, the third is kind of like the inversion, which tells you the sex of the chord almost, like whether it's major or minor. That's the way I always think about it when I'm doing, when I'm thinking about it. And then uh, you might have the sixth or the seventh, but you're playing these kind of notes that aren't the root note of the chord because you don't need to do that. The bass is probably supplying that. And you're moving, shuttling around and adding harmonies. And the idea is you're trying to lay a kind of interesting bedrock and ground for the soloist. Um, so you're not trying to take up too much space, but you're also trying to keep it quite interesting. And, um, and comp, comp, and so comp is an, an abbreviation of accompaniment. Yeah, accompaniment or compliment. Yeah, either or. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, that's a nice kind of description of a good rhythm guitarist in in general as well. So I see how you mean. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Wonderful. So, d- considering that apparently you can't ever hear him, do you, do you have a specific track that uh, that we cannot we hear him on? We cannot hear him on. I do not. So your first choice is a guitarist that no one can hear. <laughs> of course, it's it is. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? But I said, uh, but essentially, the way. If you listen to any Count Basie yeah. song for fifty yeah. years, and you hear and you hear a little guitar, or you think, "Oh, that's not a piano," or "That's not a horn," there you go, Mr. Freddie right. Green. Freddie Green, perfect, brilliant. Um, right, so we cycle back round. To my second pick. Yes. Uh, and I am keeping with my tradition of choosing people whose surnames I can't pronounce. And uh, <laughs> we are uh, going to the rhythm guitarist for uh, my... Uh, yeah, my, my favourite recording artist of all time. I think we're going to come to whether it is or not later on because there are, there's always been in my life two people that jockey for that position. Uh, and they're very, very different, um, which is kind of why it's really hard to choose between the two. But um, yeah, certainly one of the two uh, uh, main um, uh, kind of, yeah, musical people, musical gods of my life. Um, and that is, of course, Prince. And that is um, his rhythm guitarist from 1981 to 1986. Uh, Wendy Melvin, Melvoin, Melvoin, not sure. M-E-L-V-O-I-N. Any idea, Josh? Uh, it might be Malvoin. Malvoin. Yeah, Malvoin. Malvoin. Yeah, Malvoin. Malvoin. I like Malvoin. Malvoin is nice. That's that. Malvoin. But it's yeah. not. It's not that. But yeah, that's fine. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, she's American, so it's probably Melvin. It's probably yeah. Melvin. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so uh, yes. So Wendy Melvin, who was uh, sixteen when Whoa. she first. Uh, met Prince. She was. Uh, That's too young for anyone to meet Prince. Yeah. Um, yeah. She. Uh, it was. It was um, uh, her girlfriend at the time, uh, who they later actually formed their own band called Wendy and Lisa, um, who was playing in the Revolution. And so Prince, when he was in LA, would often stay at their house. And one night he was staying there, and he just heard uh, uh, Wendy playing along on on the guitar in in her room, and. Uh, and invited her to come and uh, like just jam with them in the recording studio the next day. And his previous rhythm guitarist, Des Dickerson, didn't show up for sound check that night when they were playing a gig. And, and he just went, okay, you're in the band now. Whoa. <laughs> That's it. That's simple. Um, and then, yeah. And, and so she, she had actually previously um, on, on 1999, she'd done a bit of BVs on the mm-hmm. album. Um, but then kind of, yeah, from Purple Rain um, uh, kind of onwards for the next few years, um, which means with Prince about 85 albums that would have been made in, yeah, in that yeah. time, um, <laughs> uh, was was his main rhythm guitarist. And um, for me, I've chosen her because she um, plays one of, if not my favourite opening um, chord progression of, of any song, which is Purple Rain. Um I think I talked about it when we talked about our intros and outros podcast. And I said, yeah. I, I chose the outro because of Prince's phenomenal um, lead guitar playing. But actually that chord sequence that she plays at the beginning is just as iconic. And um, I 
believe, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe it's B flat sus two. Uh, is it C C major seventh, something like that, and then F and then E flat? I think is the progression. Uh, B flat C minus B flat sus two. I think G minor. G minor seventh. I think. Yeah, it is. and then there's an yeah. E flat, which is like an E flat add nine or E flat sus four. It's like yeah. the Andy Andy Summers chord, but yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but it's yeah, it's like a collection of of quite specific chords mm. that aren't the easiest to play. Uh, but. Yeah, the, the the way she plays them, and you kind of, I think, already know what Purple Rain is about as a song with just in those four chords. Um, mm. And the way she plays them, the pacing of it, how she handles her instrument, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, why I've chosen Wendy Melvin. Great shout. I mean, also, we talked about Wrecking Crew and kind of like groups of musicians... Like the revolution or like any Prince backing band is just full of incredible stellar musicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. We often talk about Sheila E from a yeah. drumming perspective, yeah. like just one of the most influential drummers of all time and happens to be at the back uh, for Prince. Um, he, 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 part of his genius, I think, as much of his writing and his musicianship was also his ability to spot talent. And, yeah. and that's a really nice story of, of that I'd never heard. Um, about listening to a 16-year-old in their bedroom and going, yeah, they're a world-class musician and knowing yeah. like that. That says quite quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think he's someone that, you know, with 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 the revolution, with the new power generation, all his backing bands were, he was so um, uh, passionate about furthering uh, women musicians in rock. Yeah, um, sure. And, and uh, uh, also very multi-ethnic um, groups. You know, there was such a diverse range of race and gender within the bands that he would put together and within those people he championed um, yeah. as well, which is another reason why he's so influential. Um, but, but yeah, uh, just someone who I think actually is encapsulates that song's kind of status in culture as much yeah. as Prince does himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that she even wrote the guitar part for Purple Rain, which yeah. might sound a bit obvious, but not really when you're in a band with Prince. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think there's many opportunities you get to actually write something if you're necessarily in a band with Prince. Um, yeah. Because Purple Rain started out as a kind of, was it like a, it was a ballad, it was a ballad or the country song, wasn't it? He wrote it was, yeah, it was. So, so we mentioned this on the intros and outros podcast. Yeah. It was, it was written um, and it was meant to be a uh, duet with Stevie Nicks. Yeah. And they sent it to her and she went, I, I'm too intimidated by the orchestration <laughs> of the song. <laughs> right. I don't want to do it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, are we going to hear a little bit of uh, we Purple Rain? We will hear the opening riff to Purple Rain.
So lovely listening to uh, Purple Rain. Um, a nice reminder of every time uh, you do karaoke. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, oh, on, yeah. on multiple continents now. Multiple continents, <laughs> multiple stages, mm-hmm. multiple limbs. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Um, but I really want to kind of jump off uh, a really nice link here because you mentioned that, that song's written for Stevie Nicks, uh, who passed it down, uh, turned it down. And this it's a really nice segue. As I told you, I told you I'd spin a narrative into my next pick, which is the great Lindsay Buckingham. Thought it might be. Did you think I'd pick him? Mm-hmm. Did you? Yeah. I, I only thought of him like last night. I don't yeah. know why it took me so long, but I adore Lindsay Buckingham. Um, for those of you who are unaware, he is um, a huge, huge part um, of, uh, it feels wrong to say he's the guitarist for Fleetwood Mac because he feels mm. more than that, but that's actually what he was, particularly in, in their biggest years when they were yeah. kind of uh, on top of the world. Um, particularly when we think about rumors um, which, of course, was all about the relationship between Stevie Nicks and uh, Lindsay Buckingham, John McVeigh and Christine McVeigh, and how all of that kind of interlinked to each other. So we hear a lot about Lindsay's personality and the amount of cocaine they all snorted and the rock and roll aspects of it. And then we also hear a lot about Christine McVeigh's songwriting and how talented she was about bringing these kind of tunes to the fore. Um, but we don't really hear a lot of people talking about Lindsay Buckingham as great kind of influencer. I don't hear people talking about the fact that he inspired people to pick up guitars or anything like that. But I think he is phenomenal. Um, And there's kind of lots to talk about there. Uh, And I think Josh will probably have a a few bits to say about this. But I think he's one of the greatest picking guitarists ever. Um, One of those reasons is the fact that he never ever used a plectrum. And sometimes in the studio he did, but um, live he, he always kind of played with his nails and his fingers. Um, and he said that was kind of just an accident. He uh, he just kind of never really learned to play with the plectrum, um, and and that that's kind of why it evolved that way. But it means that you end up with this amazing um, kind of wall of sound because so much more is being played rather than just a single stroke. It feels like he's always got more options. Um, I, I don't know if you have anything to say about Lindsay Buckingham from a technique point of view, though, Josh. Yeah, it's deceptively hard to play anything that he plays, especially Never Going Back Again, which is, let me tell you, a lot harder than it sounds to play on guitar. If you want to play Never Going Back Again, like Lindsay Buckingham plays Never Going Back Again, uh, you really need to have some decent chops about you, especially with finger picking, with like flat picking and all the different kinds of country-inspired picking techniques. He is brilliant. And I, I think you're right. With finger-picking guitarists, you always think about people like Jeff Beck and Mark Knopfler for their lead guitar work, but for a rock finger-picker who's more rhythm-orientated, I don't really, I can't think of anyone better than Lindsey Buckingham. And I'm saying that as not a huge fan of Lindsey Buckingham-era Fleetwood Mac. So, yeah, my appreciation of him as a guitarist is, is almost a bit more than my appreciation of him maybe as just an out-and-out songwriter um, from a guitar point he is incredibly underrated as lots of guitarists of his kind of time are especially the ones that sang and wrote songs a lot of them from that era were underrated but i think he's top of the pile you were more of a uh, uh neil finn era fleetwood rack <laughs> man aren't you well look here's the thing this is an idea of how good lindsey buckingham is when they sacked him and fired him in 2018 they didn't replace him with just one person they replaced him with two people yeah. so 
was so, the, uh, the Heartbreakers guy. Yeah, Mike yeah. Campbell. So Neil Finn basically why, just why did those sing. Two? Because Neil, weird... Neil Finn because Neil Finn can't play guitar as good as Lindsay Buckingham is again. So they had to get a proper guitarist into it as well. To be fair though, Neil Finn's used to company because he spent most of his life in a crowded house. <laughs> <laughs> Kill yourself. Very good. Um, Very good. Very good. Um, I, I also thought, because um, uh, I, I was kind of thinking uh, when you said earlier about certain guitarists who might be, uh, David, about guitarists who kind of lead as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, there's no other kind of lead guitarist in uh, Fleetwood Mac. So, yeah, the solos are him and everyone knows the mm -hmm. solos on like The Chain, for mm -hmm. example. Um, but, but also he was the rhythm. And I, I realised that actually... Christine McVeigh is kind of the lead singer most of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Lindsay Buckingham does a lot of lead vocals. And then I thought, actually, Stevie Nicks is kind of the lead guitarist for Fleetwood Mac, but with her voice. Yeah. Like, so much of her presence in the yeah. band doesn't have to be her singing no. uh, a lead vocal part. Often she's kind of singing a lead harmonic over Lindsay's guitar. Yeah. I mean, Mick Fleetwood has the personality of a lead guitarist, even though he's behind the drums. <laughs> yeah. But... That's very true. Very true. <laughs> Yeah, very true. He thinks he's Keith Richards, but yeah. actually he's an okay Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. That's a complete, completely valid idea of what Mick Fleetwood is. Now. Yeah. Yeah. There was also a nice uh, quote from uh, Lindsay Buckingham uh, when talking about what he thought the role of a great guitar player was. Um, and he said uh, for him it was all about Chet Atkins, which explains a mm. lot when you were talking yeah. about the country finger-picking style. And he said, Chet Atkins was a fantastic player who, who played great parts for songs, which made those songs better because of his guitar parts. And then he was kind of talking, he's kind of basically slagging off Eddie Van Halen a bit. And he was saying like, someone like Eddie is, is a virtuosic guitar player, one of a kind genius, but most of Van Halen's songs are rubbish because it's all built around Eddie's guitar playing. Mm -hmm. When actually, if you look at Chet Atkins, the reason why Chet Atkins will go in history is because he played great guitar on the songs rather than wrote mediocre songs to go around great guitar parts. Yeah. In I defense, that was cool. In defense of Eddie Van Halen, though, he is a very good rhythm guitarist as well. I would just interject. I mm -hmm. think he gets a bad rep. But anyway, I take your point. Yeah, well, well, it's not my point. It's Lindsay Buckingham's point. <laughs> yeah, I take. Lindsay Buckingham is speaking through you. So I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, though. There is another debate to be had around the fact that yeah. Eddie Van Halen also played some incredible rhythm parts on yeah, those yeah, songs yeah. that people ignore because he was known for his solos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, funny enough, talking about picks, if uh, he thinks Eddie Van Halen thought, uh, rest in peace, uh, recently passed away last year, um, he thought the reason he got throat cancer was entirely down to the fact that he used to keep his, he used to play with metal picks, which mm. is kind of part of his whole sound. Um, and he used to keep them in his mouth all the time. So he'd constantly be pick, putting his pick in his mouth. Um, and he thinks that he got some kind of poisoning that led to the throat cancer. He also then pointed out that he did also smoke and drink and take a hell of a lot of drugs. Through, so <laughs> yeah. It might have been to do yeah. with that. But he thinks, yeah. <laughs> and then he said, but doctors think it is possible. I'm like, why? Are you yeah. Retired? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good old Eddie. Um, on that note, uh, Lindsay Buckingham, thank you for being a wonderful, troubled man. Um, uh, and here is um, exactly the song that you picked out um, when thinking about uh, the complex nature of this rhythm guitarist. Uh, with Never Going Back Again, here is Lindsay Buckingham. She broke down. 
I just absolutely adore that song. And you're right, it is the one of the hardest things to play. Sometimes yeah. I think I'm going to learn to play it. And yeah. then five minutes in, I go, absolutely not. I'm burning my guitar. I think I've been able to play it for five minutes in my life. Properly. <laughs> about the length of the song. That's good. I think, I think there's, I think, I remember sitting down and trying to learn it. I think I got it for five minutes and then I lost it. So what is your uh, next um, offering, Joshua? Okay, my next one is another slightly unknown chap. But I walked past this homeless guy in South London uh, <laughs> five years ago, and he's called Boots McGinty. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Boots yeah. McGinty is absolutely the name of a rhythm guitarist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this guy, this guy though, is similar to Glenn Campbell. In if Glenn Campbell hadn't then become famous, Glenn Campbell, uh, mm. he is probably like the king of the liner notes rhythm guitarist. So. The people that used to, you don't do it as much now, do you? Because people don't buy CDs mm. as much, but obsessively check the liner notes to see who played on what. I used to do that when I was younger. Yeah. I forgot about this guy and then I remembered him. And this guy may have influenced me actually on guitar, possibly more than anyone else, because wow. I've become reacquainted with his style. I thought, yes, this is actually how I play a lot of guitar. So the guy is Cornell Dupree, um, who has played on over oh he's dead now actually died in 2011 but he reportedly recorded 2500 sessions wow. so all he is all over the soul funk r&b jazz canon of about from about the late 50s to uh, really up until like the 80s um he's probably most famous for playing with donny hathaway Aretha Franklin, mm -hmm. Bill Withers. Uh, he played on Paul Simon's There Goes Ryman Simon. Um, he had a solo career as well. He was, he, was, he was a very good lead guitarist as well, but his rhythm guitar is what he is most famous for. Um, for a couple of reasons, Rich. When you listen to him playing rhythm guitar, it reminds you a lot of Jimi Hendrix's, Jimi Hendrix's rhythm style. And they actually played together when they were young. So oh, wow. there is, so they, they played together for King Curtis um, and it was just before Jimi Hendrix became the Jim, like he left America to form the Jimi Hendrix experience. So it was when Jimi Hendrix was flashy lead guitarist and Cornell Dupree was laying down the, uh, the sultry mm. tone, chordal tones underneath. And his rhythm guitar playing is a mixture of the sort of typical half chord style of a lot of kind of soul and funk and jazz a lot of the kind of sick voicings of lots of the soul guitarists around the kind of 60s and 70s mm -hmm. um he epitomizes essentially guitar playing on the soul records and r&b records from the 50s to the 70s um but i would say as much as he epitomizes it as well he's also one of the founders of a lot of the kind of the guitar techniques um, and he is when you go on like YouTube, YouTube and stuff. He's one of the guys that there's lots of amateur people doing their own little videos of how to play like Cornell Dupree. Mm. He is a guitarist, guitarist of incredible renown, really. When it comes down to it, um, yeah. So I, when you listen to things like Donny Hathaway, and you listen, to, it's especially Donny Hathaway. I think he's got some of his most beautiful um, guitar work on, especially his live albums. Uh, because it's just incredibly tasteful. And that's what he's just brilliant at. He is one of the most tasteful guitarists you'll ever hear. He just has a great command of when to play and when not to play, which is essentially what you need to have to be a rhythm guitarist. And 
yeah, he just has these beautiful kind of silky licks that he just intertwines in. And when you listen, it is very Hendrix. Um, but as I say, there's a good, there's enough kind of volume of evidence to suggest maybe that he actually might have, in, he might have influenced Hendrix in that regard as much as perhaps Hendrix influenced him. So That's really interesting. I, I, I offer, I've, often think with you know with with Hendrix um actually as I was, came up in the conversation with my mum yesterday when she went oh well so what do you what, what would you say Jimi Hendrix is and I mean he there's no classification for Hendrix like he's <laughs> totally in in a different world um and because of that I think often certainly when I was a kid or you know early teenager just getting into Hendrix and and <clears throat> thinking that he was this guy that just kind of existed in in his own ether and was never influenced by anyone and yeah. just kind of existed there's something really satisfying when you find yeah these people like i remember for me it was when i first heard buddy guy and i went wait a minute yeah like you listen to buddy guy playing guitar and you're like hendrix has taken a lot yeah. from this dude like yeah so that's really interesting yeah um with Dupree as well, that, that, that that's there because it, it humanizes Hendrix, I think, in a way that you often don't get to do when you go, oh no, he had influences too, like anyone else. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. That's a great point, I think, for, I mean, there's so many different things and especially like the creative world, but for guitarists, mm. that is a great point, especially when you're young and you, a lot of the stereotypical guitarists that you learn about when you're young, they do seem like this kind of godlike figures bolt out the blue. Yeah. It was like, immaculate conception almost of them being able to play like they play but they all took it from all these things buddy guy definitely is an amazing example about the influence he had on people afterwards and i think that yeah cornell dupree perhaps the idea of how influential he's been on other people is probably not really stated at all i don't know how much influence he had on others in terms of his direct guitar playing but the acknowledgement mm. of him is, is is there um in a big way Definitely. There's something interesting about um, uh, musicians being great in their own right, just because you want to listen to them, and also musicians being great because of what they engineered through their influence. Yeah. And it's you and I were watching a documentary recently that spent a bit of time talking about Donny Hathaway. And so many uh, musicians were talking about how Donny Hathaway was not just funk, not just soul, not just R. He was he was the king and the voice of black music in America for a generation of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you can see in terms of the influence he had in terms of the people he worked with. But when you think Dupre was was the guitarist of that, mm -hmm. um, it, it's quite interesting to think about how this man has influenced so many different musicians but so many different genres of music as a mm. result across several generations so that's a really good shout i've just had a look at some of the stuff he's done yeah it's, it's unbelievable yeah it's unbelievable you just like, so many things just crop up i mean he plays on archie shep's attica blues which is just one of the best jazz albums and like jazz funk albums mm. of all time and he plays on four songs on that and i didn't even realize that until about uh, like just just before we started this and yeah he is amazing amazing guitarist Brilliant. Amazing. Um, do we have a, a track? We do. I mean, there's 2,500 odd to yeah. <laughs> choose from, so it's it's a it's a quite a narrow base to work from, really. If I'm being honest, it would be better if he'd recorded more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I wanted to try and find something where he is perhaps not as understated in terms of rhythm, and we can give him a little bit more kudos in terms yeah. of actually 
listening to him. So not by one of the most famous people that he played with, um, but there is a song called Rainy Nights in Georgia by Brooke Benton. nice indeed this has been real education i'm enjoying this because not only am i thinking learning names that i haven't heard of before or thought about before i'm also thinking about the whole idea of 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 what a rhythm guitarist is and and, and what they bring to music in a slightly different way as, yeah. as well as building upon it yeah, yeah. absolutely nice. um so yeah so i am actually going to kind of stay within a similar world to josh here um i've um and and similarly to to glenn campbell i um I think it's interesting with rhythm guitarists um, in particular, I'd say rhythm guitarists and drummers specifically, you tend to often go to session guys, mm. um, which, which is interesting. So I wanted to- They're always better than the rock stars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who are too pissed to play properly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I um, have also kind of gone for a bit of a session legend um, and someone that really created a, a, rhythm guitar sound and someone who's hugely iconic in those worlds that kind of Josh was talking about, but also blues as well. Um, and that is uh, the rhythm guitarist of the Stax Records house band, also known as Booker T and the MGs. And that is Steve Cropper. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So for those of you who don't know Steve Cropper, he um, played, he was, he was the guitarist on uh, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay um, he was the rhythm guitarist in the Blues Brothers, um, uh, Sam and Dave, Soul Man, you know, wow. that's him. As, like all these huge kind of, um, yeah, th those 70s soul kind of hits. Um, I also found it interesting that he was also at the same time the A&R director for Stax Records, yeah. as well as being their rhythm guitarist, which is an odd, he was like a businessman as well that's within great. the yeah. industry. Yeah. Hey Stax, I've got this really, um, really cool talent. Oh yeah, yeah, what do they do? They're a brilliant, um, like good, really good rhythm guitarist. Oh, and we've got a few of those now, this guy's amazing. Oh, who is it? Me. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so in terms of Southern Soul and Memphis Soul, um, he would absolute huge pioneer um rolling stone named him the 39th greatest guitarist of all time too low um yeah yeah to be fair um and i um yeah just think in terms of his his influence uh on soul as a whole genre yeah. um is is yeah can't can't kind of be um uh, overstated so yeah josh um do please come in because i know you're a big fan of Crockett yeah well. he is he is he is in my top three favorite guitarists he may even be number he's he's been my favorite guitarist at certain points because mm -hmm. he 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 is the sole guitar book like uh, he his things that he introduced to soul music are now used by everyone and no one was really doing it before him. Um, 
when you hear things like Soul Man, the intro to Soul Man with the six, the yeah. that is yeah. all over his guitar playing. Uh, I mean, that is probably the most noticeable aspect of his guitar playing. But and that whenever you hear someone doing that, nine times out of ten they've 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 learned that from listening to old Stax records. Um, mm-hmm. Cornell Dupree played with Steve Copper, and they played in a similar similar way. But Steve Copper is the epitome of just soul guitar playing because he introduced as as perhaps it was because he was he was one of the white members in the band he introduced mm. a slightly more country aesthetic and that's where the six mm. six notes come in and he has that kind of country style to him um i think yeah he is absolutely brilliant when they did stacks the night at the royal albert hall a few years ago i think you could still i think you can still check it out online and he does a version of sitting on the dockers bay with tom jones and it's mm. just him and Tom Jones. And oh, nice. if you want to listen to how a guy can make rhythm guitar that's quite sparse, that isn't just hitting chords and his, isn't hitting bass notes, but how to make it sound incredible with Tom Jones' voice, which is one of the best ones out there, check it out. It's absolutely phenomenal. He goes up and down the fretboard. Some of it shouldn't really work, but it all works so incredibly well because he is just uh yeah his guitar skills are just incredible but he's very you can't overstate his influence but he is a very understated guy by all accounts and i think he's a very understated guitarist in terms of his chops his guitar i i don't understand what's happened to tom jones because he's not become <laughs> an older version of tom jones he's now become an older version of like a delta blues yeah. singer from the bayou like i don't un- yeah. i don't understand what's happened yeah. to him yeah. like he's not the he's not the present day version of his past self he's the no. present day version of someone else yeah. that never existed yeah if you look in his eyes you don't see memories of the welsh valleys or the mining you know communities you yeah. see memories of louisiana mud shack yeah. and like, but he doesn't have those memories <laughs> but that is what you see when you yeah. look in his eyes yeah um yeah, so so interesting enough, and I I was I was toying between um, the snippet that I've chosen and the intro to Soul Man because it's just so great. Mm. But I I wanted to actually go for Green Onions mm-hmm. because it is a Booker T and the MGs actual song um, rather than them kind of being a sort of all-purpose band for anyone else. Um, and although it is predominantly an organ-driven song. Uh, Steve Cropper's interjections in the section I've kind of um, picked out uh, is really nice because he's it's kind of um, a word I learned last week, contrapuntal to the organ mm-hmm. in terms of it's like you get this call and response almost with these kind of stabbing chords that come in and then he starts playing a little riff, but it's it kind of acting in counterpoint to the bomb, 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 the, the sort of famous organ part of, of Green Onions. Um, and it's yeah, just really nice. Lovely. So uh, yeah, uh, Booker T and the MGs with Green Onions. Take it away. That was part one of the 15 greatest rhythm guitarists of all time. Tune in next week for part two. Thanks for listening. Oh,